1: Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John.
0: Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank.
1: It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John, we uh, answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hey, John,
0: how you doing? I'm doing fantastic because of the news from AFC Wimbledon. I just can't get over it, Hank. Uh, but otherwise, I'm well. It's a, it's a gray, cloudy day here in Indianapolis after several beautiful days in a row but uh, I am happy, my heart is singing, how are you? I'm good, we are having weather that could be described as Taylor Swiftian, and I'm sad
1: that I have to be inside (laughs) recording a podcast right now, because I just want to be romping around in the meadows, uh, potentially just yanking dandelions out of my yard, because they are very happy, very happy. Dandelions, I feel like all the rest of the plants must look at the dandelions and, and feel really lazy. All the plants out there just being like, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to flower one time and maybe make a seed. And dandelions are like, hey, by the way, we're going to do that 75 times between the moment there stops being snow on the ground and, and and then well into when there starts being snow on the ground in the winter. Dandelions, uh, they make me feel lazy, and I think all of the rest of the plants probably feel the same way. And I feel bad for all the rest of the plants. Who feel lazy because they're looking at dandelions
0: I don't think plants have those feelings um, I am however impressed with the success of dandelions so much so that I wonder why we have relatively so much plant biodiversity when you think the dandelion would have just taken over completely <laughs> why
1: why are there any other plants I feel this way about pigeons and dandelions that we kind of like we hate them because of their success yeah and I, th- I just I think that we should I think that we should laud them and be like, what remarkable, well done, uh, adapting to the weird world that we have created as humans with all of our lawns and all our buildings and, and, you know, making it work. The the wonderful generalist species of dandelions and pigeons and humans we have a lot in common.
0: No, I agree. The only reason that we have so many pigeons and dandelions is because we have so many humans. So, uh, why 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 do we complain about these species for which we are responsible? Would you like a short poem for the day? Let's do it. Is it about is it about pigeons? It's not about pigeons, Hank, but it is about feathers. Oh, okay, that's close. We've actually had this poem before on the podcast, Hank, but I'm in such a good mood. And I can't think of a better situation in which to read this poem, often known as Hope is the Thing with Feathers by the brilliant Emily Dickinson. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash this little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea Yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Hope is the Thing with Feathers, also known as Poem 314 by Emily Dickinson. Hank, have you ever noticed how hope really is a thing with feathers? How just when you think it's been extinguished, it flies up and leaps in front of you? Uh, I mean, that doesn't feel like so
1: much the case for like... Dag and Red fans right now.
0: <laughs> oh God, I do, I do feel terrible for Dag and Red fans. The recently relegated Dagenham and Redbridge. Nobody really knows for sure what Dag and Red stands for, Hank. But uh, let's move on to some questions from our listeners before we get to the news from AFC Wimbledon. But I, I, ha- Hank, I just have to say really quickly that the fact that you're able to name a League Two team, although not going to be a League Two team next year, uh, <laughs> other than AFC Wimbledon. Fills my heart with joy.
1: Well, I also I want to say that uh, that my club Stevenage, um, which is <laughs> because that's where they're that's where they're working on uh, on on part of the Mars mission that the ESA is doing, uh, is probably not going to get relegated, but only
0: barely. La- I, <laughs> I didn't know that you had a League Two team. Are you a confirmed Stevenage? Yeah, we fan? talked about it on the pod. Uh, could, well, first off, I just want to say. Thanks for that fantastic draw yesterday against Bristol Rovers. That was tremendously important for AFC Wimbledon's future.
1: Yeah, th- we talked. We talked about it on the pod. Stevenage is the place, is the town where they're working on the ESA ExoMars mission, um, or part of it anyway. And so I decided to have my own uh, League Two team, and uh, and. And they are, I think, currently fourth from last.
0: Is that good enough, John? That's just good enough uh, to avoid relegation. Hank, uh, this is coming ever closer to me living my true dream, which is to have a podcast with you entirely devoted to fourth tier <laughs> English football or possibly third tier English football depending on how things go but that's for later in the show for now let's get to some questions from our listeners.
1: All right John we've got a bunch. What what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with this one from Rachel?
0: Mm, no, it's too it's too stressful. Let's do that one second. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, what do you want to start with?
0: Uh let's start with this question from Dom who asks, "Dear John and Hank, John, you're a self-proclaimed Hamilton fan and I am too, but I'm conflicted. I feel that history shouldn't be viewed as a narrative composed of great individuals, but rather of complex communities, societies and ideologies. Of course, some great individuals must be individually highlighted, but shouldn't that be as a bigger raindrop in the storm? Although entertaining and educating, do you feel that Hamilton is a protagonist dependent view of history? And if it is, is that good or bad? Love the podcast, never missed an episode. Thank you, Dom. Oh, Dom. Hank, uh, this is a great question i will i think that what dom dislikes is stories i
1: we gotta have protagonists right uh, we gotta tell stories about
0: history like the- uh well we do have to have protagonists within within historical narratives but we don't have to hold up the idea that individuals are largely responsible for making history which is something that you know uh hamilton yeah okay does uh, just because, you know, there could there could be like a massive chorus of thousands of people singing in the background representing, you know, some large uh, body politic, uh, and there isn't. Uh, I don't mind that because the music is so great <laughs> and also because uh, the way of looking at history, while it is sort of great man history, feels new and fresh and excellent.
1: Right. Uh, I, I think that Hamilton is primarily a... A story, not primarily an educational enterprise.
0: Yeah, but I guess the way that we tell our stories, or particularly when it comes to history, uh, shapes the way that we think about right. what humans do and why.
1: Yeah, I, I often just think that sto- that stories are more shaped by uh, uh, so stories shape, but. Uh, but first, stories are shaped, and stories are shaped by the kind of story that people want to hear, and those are those are the stories that we end up uh, celebrating because they are exciting to us. And it is a problem that we have as our world gets bigger, and and uh, and each of us individually starts to feel smaller. That we tell these big stories about these big people who ha- who like have outsized impact on the world, or sort of are the only ones who who seem to have any effect on the world in 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 the way in our storytelling. And uh, and that's that's I feel like it's the structure of how stories have to work. But because we tell these big global stories now, like you know, Steve Jobs didn't just change you know my life; he changed everyone's life, and and everybody has to use an iPhone. And not everybody has to use an iPhone, but like, but there are iPhones all over the world now, and so there's this massive change that has occurred. And you could say the same thing about Henry Ford. Um, the uh, this. But, the, but like, by making it global, it makes each individual person feel so much less significant because all of our stories become, like, they're not important unless they're global. And, uh, and even telling a story about a great person who had a, a tremendous effect on their local community always feels kind of empty and not as sort of epic as it could be because we have these great epic global tales that we can tell now. And I feel like it makes all of us, I feel like normal me and everyone feels like a little bit less appreciation for the things that they do. I, and, and I have I have started to think more and more about the appreciation deficit and how we are, are worse and worse at, at giving each other credit for the things that we all do to make the world a better place. I
0: agree with you in some ways, although I have to say that there are stories written about uh, people who heroically choose to tread lightly upon the earth, um, including, for instance, The Fault in Our Stars, which is pretty much what that book is devoted to in its entirety. Um, But I I think... uh, Go ahead and take some credit there. Well, I mean, my point was more that like, uh, that's part of a much larger genre of books that celebrate... uh, sort of low and, impact and that they lives, do do I well. but yeah. I, I don't I don't really buy the argument that we have to uh, be globally appreciated to have enough outside uh uh outside appreciation to keep going um but I don't know I guess you do and that's okay
1: well i don't i don't I don't think that like I think we get enough appreciation to keep going I just think that, think that there's less appreciation uh for For the people, for for all of us who make it work, than there used to be, and I and I want to live my life in a way where I do my best to appreciate all of the people who make my life better and who make the world better in my normal life, and I I feel the more that I appreciate other people, the more I feel less, the the more I feel appreciated because. If I see the the work that is done, even by someone who isn't there, like if I walk by in a new park that's just been made, and I didn't see the people who made that park and who planted those trees and uh, and laid down the grass, but I know that those people happened and that, that they were there and that they made my life better, and I want to appreciate them, and that makes me feel better um, about the world. It makes me feel like people are out there appreciating me. And uh, and that we all work together to make to make the world work
0: on that. We agree. I just don't think that there's anything particularly new about that. Let's move on to another question. Uh, Okay. this one is from Chelsea Hank. She writes, Dear John and Hank. I was in a meeting this morning with my boss and a bunch of higher-up clients, I am but a plebeian marketing coordinator, and they were all talking about how economists are saying America's debt situation is pointing us toward an economic depression even more severe than the Great Depression around the year 2031. Uh. This was the first I'd heard of such a prediction, Uh. and in addition to furious Googling, I figured I'd ask the leading experts on the American economy, John and Hank Green, is this the thing I should be actively (laughs) worried about? Should I be saving all my burrito money in preparation for such a cataclysmic event? Well, Chelsea, if such a cataclysmic event were to come, the good slash bad news is that all of your burrito money would be worth nothing, so you might as well just spend it on burritos now. I also want to say that Chelsea said the leading experts
1: in the American economy, Hank and John Green, and yet you even switched it there.
0: Well, I believe that this podcast should be called Dear John and Hank, and I believe that when people refer to us, they should refer to us as John and Hank. (laughs) By age, not by alphabet.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, <laughs> this is hilarious to me to a certain extent.
0: That like, yeah, uh, this question is absurd on so yeah, many there's, levels. There's the idea that like a bunch of a bunch of people in a yeah. room know what is going to happen to the American economy in 2031 is itself fascinating to me.
1: <laughs> it really is. Uh, around the year 2031. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it it's going to be amazing I mean, when 2031 uh, rolls around and the American economy collapses and everybody can throw this podcast back in our face. But like, yeah, that's ludicrous.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's ludicrous. I mean, for, for context, 15 years ago, uh, which is how far away we are from 2031, um, I remember saying to my friends, uh, why would you ever send a text message you could just call? I also remember saying to my friends, "Why would I want my email on my phone?"
1: <laughs> I tell this story a lot, John, about the time we were offered uh, a free camcorder from Sony uh, that, that yeah. would record in HD, and uh, and and that uh, we responded to them, uh, no. YouTube will never be in HD.
0: Yeah. Why would anyone want to watch YouTube videos in widescreen? I believe that was the text of our email response. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So so uh, to summarize, Chelsea, no one knows what's going to happen in uh, 2031. Uh, The United States has a lot of uh, debt. Um, the amount of debt that we have actually isn't very important. Um, again, please bear in mind that Hank and I are not economists, uh, but the percentage of, uh, our, our debt to GDP ratio, the size of our debt as compared to our GDP, um, our gross domestic product, like the total output of the economy, that is considered uh, a, a kind of more important number than the number of dollars of debt itself. Um, and our debt to GDP ratio is is high. Um, it, it It isn't that, that high. Uh, but most importantly, our debt is very, very inexpensive. Like right now, it's essentially free uh, for the United States to borrow money because people are anxious to buy treasury bonds because they feel that they are a very safe investment. So um, we can basically borrow as much money as we want for free. Now, that obviously comes with its own dangers. The only real risk to the American economy uh, from our, our debt is if uh, our debt be- becomes more expensive uh, to service so like if the interest rate uh, were to go up uh, which can happen very suddenly and can sort of spiral that's what happened in in Greece for instance and in Ireland um, is that sometimes you're, you're the amount of m- Uh, interest that you have to pay to borrow money starts to rise, and then you have to borrow yet more money to pay these higher interest loans. That would be a problem for the United States economy. There is no evidence whatsoever that that is about to happen, or indeed that it will happen in 2031. Um, You know, I I think that there are legitimate concerns about uh, our debt to GDP ratio right now. um, But we don't spend... Uh, That much to service our debt uh, compared to you know what we were spending 10 years ago or 30 years ago Uh, So it's not something that I worry about at night. Yeah, um, and I don't think that you should either.
1: Yeah I, I spent a lot of bit of time looking into this recently because I was thinking about making a video on it and then gave up. But cause the reason I gave up is because I read a bunch of different articles from a bunch of economists that worked at a bunch of large, well-known American universities, and they all disagreed with each other. And that made me feel like, oh, yeah. no one knows how this works, and they're trying to figure it out, and it's, an, it's a thing that, that experts uh, think about and that people who are good at this will... Uh, will have important discussions about, but it is not a thing that uh, some, some muckety-mucks uh, in, in a room know better than like the leading economist at Harvard or MIT. And both of those people disagree with each other a great deal about whether the American debt, whether American debt, sovereign debt, is, is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I got another question, John, it's from Rachel. Rachel asks, in all caps, Dear Hank and John, why does writing in all caps feel so intense? Like I'm yelling at you right now. Why? Uh, Rachel, I
0: actually remember uh when all caps became like yelling uh to me. So, it was a specific time in my life. It was uh the <laughs> summer of 1993. Hank, do you do you remember? Was it was it a similar time for you?
1: Uh uh, I don't remember this now. So
0: I don't know if there's a history of all caps writing being seen as screaming, but certainly when I joined the internet in the summer of 1993, uh, was the first time that I'd seen all caps writing being used to, uh, intonate screaming or intensity. And, uh, and I remember reading it at first and thinking, well, this is silly. They're just writing differently. Uh, it doesn't sound like screaming at all. And then slowly over the course of the summer, uh, I was part of this huge message board on CompuServe. Over the course of the summer, reading everybody's forum posts and writing my own, I found myself writing in all caps when I was screaming. I found myself reading other people's uh, capital letters as screaming. So much so that today, or even I remember a few years ago, Hank, before our grandmother died, our grandmother only sent emails in all caps. She she didn't have the ability to turn off the caps lock right. on her uh on her keyboard and so I think that it helped her it helped her see all the words probably yeah so she would write us these very sweet emails but to me it would just be like I'm very proud of you for your book looking for Alaska I think it's wonderful (laughs) that's my answer
1: I think it's super interesting that we can convey all of this extra information with text, and we have to find new ways of doing that. Like I am a, the kind of person who constantly puts emojis in my emails because I want it to be very clear when I'm saying when I'm saying something that I think is uh, like a sad thing, a happy thing, a sarcastic thing, a winky face thing. I'm trying to. to pack in and load in as much information as possible, because when we're talking as people, we have lots of different ways of showing how we feel about the words we are saying, which we don't have in text. And so we've developed all of these new cool ways of conveying that information, but I, you know, different people read it differently, which means you can sometimes have to be careful when you are sending people emails who are different ages than you or have different backgrounds than you because they like the culture of how to use the words, how to like how to use the tools that we have on our keyboard, uh, which is a limited set of tools to convey information accurately, is is different. Uh, so I, I will often send an email and then I'll get a response back from someone who's, uh, uh, you know significantly older than me that will be kind of defensive and i'll be like oh i did that thing again where i thought that that they were going to understand what i meant and they didn't
0: these days hank i i only write emails and emojis i don't i don't use uh the the letters on the keyboard anymore i try to only use (laughs) uh image based (laughs) things so that people have a good sense of what i mean and with the, the the variety of emojis available to us um these days, you don't even need text anymore. Text is dead. My new novel is going to be written entirely in emoji.
1: Well, uh, hope is it going to be very
0: long? Oh, it's going to be extremely long. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, it's going to be like 700 pages. Oh, wow. I've been working on it for five years. What do you think I've been doing all this time? <laughs> Hank, we've got another question here from Megan who writes, Dear John and Hank, recently for my college geology class we studied supervolcanoes and ever since I've been extremely terrified of the thought of Yellowstone destroying our country and covering it in deadly ash. Oh, Megan, truly a woman after my own heart. The most alarming thing about this is that Yellowstone's eruption could happen any time, and yet I've never heard of any sort of emergency plan shared with the population of the U.S. regarding (laughs) what to do in this kind of natural disaster.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's because there's nothing you can do. Do you
0: think the U.S. needs to prepare its citizens for the possibility of a supervolcano, or do you think this would just cause an unnecessary state of panic? This is a great question, Megan. Um, I... I don't think it would cause an unnecessary state of panic. I think it would cause an appropriate state of panic. The problem is, um, telling the citizens of the United States in the event of a Yellowstone supervolcano, uh... Except the sweet embrace of death is not a particularly encouraging message.
1: <laughs> I so first of all, I want to take issue with one of Megan's points, which is that this could happen at any point. Uh, it couldn't. It couldn't just happen right now. Um, a you know, a supervolcano eruption would have a lot of of serious uh, signs that it was going to occur. We couldn't stop it once we knew it was going to happen so we would have years of like data being like it's looking like there is a a dramatic increase of geologic activity at yellowstone uh we wouldn't be able to do anything about that we would just know that suddenly there was a lot more activity there is not a lot of activity at yellowstone right now what you would see is like you would see like rising in the ground of like like quick like like meters per day of the ground rising. And that would happen for quite a while before the eruption itself happened. Uh,
0: Now when you say quite a while, do you mean long enough for us to establish a colony on Mars, or do you mean like a few weeks?
1: I mean like between those two things, like probably, like if you start to see that level of, of like, and you don't even know, you don't know if it's going to happen, it could rise and then fall back down again. Uh, but it but if you did see that you you might be thinking like, okay, there could be something serious that might happen within the next year, within the next decade, within the next you know hundred years. But we're not seeing anything okay, like that. Hank,
0: if I can just if I, if I can just stop you real quick, um would this end all life on earth, or would it just end like human life in the United States? It would
1: not end all life on earth definitely it it probably wouldn't end. All human life, and probably not all human life in the U.S. Um, you know, I, I, it's just it's just one of those situations where you're gonna have a lot of people die. You know, the carrying capacity of the Earth will go way down. Where
0: should I move in the event that Yellowstone starts uh, rising and falling meters per day? Should I move to Australia? Should I move to Hawaii? I
1: think you're I think you're pretty good where you are. I, I mean, uh, wh- well. I mean, you'd be you'd be better off in Australia, okay. for sure. I mean, Australia's pretty much the other, other side. Uh, th- but the, the problem is that you want to be in a place that's
0: warm. Well, as it happens, Australia's lovely.
1: So you don't want to be anywhere that's cold. Yeah. Uh, but, but, it's not going to happen... Uh, and and in our you know our guesses are that these things happen you know on the orders of hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, and so it's very likely that that a Yellowstone supervolcano eruption is is more than ten thousand years away, which is we've got other things to worry about in that time.
0: Oh, yeah, we're never going to make it ten thousand years.
1: But in general, the, you know a deal, dealing with an, a disaster is pretty much the same with ev- like with every kind of disaster. Uh, Unless you are right on top of the supervolcano, which I am, in which case dealing with the supervolcano disaster is, you know, just suffocating in your
0: home. Yeah, just a very short-term problem. Yes. I got another question, John. It's from Gwendolyn. I'm glad that we went to that extremely dark place, Hank. Uh, It it wouldn't have felt appropriate (laughs) to get through a podcast without it. Alright, what's Gwendolyn's question?
1: Uh, I've known for a while that I would be leaving my job uh, to stay at home, but now that it's obvious that I'm pregnant, people are starting to ask me if I'm going to come back after the baby, which I'm not. As this is my second child, I had hoped that people would just assume that I was staying around this time and not ask. As it is, I've panicked and started to lie to my co-workers, saying that I'm planning on coming back. I haven't yet told my boss that I won't be coming back. I'm planning on staying for another three and a half months from now Uh, and i don't feel like it would be professional to tell anyone else before i told my boss uh in the meantime
0: it's also not professional of people to ask
1: by the way yes it is yes Uh, in the meantime what do i tell people i don't want to lie but it's not time to tell everybody that i'm leaving yet also when is the right time to tell the boss that i'm leaving i know that two weeks is the professional minimum but it doesn't seem like that's nearly enough time to start even thinking about a replacement uh, I'm coming. That as a coming at this as a boss, not an employee, and I don't know your boss, and I don't know your work environment, um, and I don't know your 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 you know coworkers and such. But when one of my people is leaving, I want to know as soon as possible. And I like, and I don't see a ton of drawbacks to that. You might spend more time training your your, your replacement, and you might get loaded up with some extra work so that they can be like ready for you to leave. Uh, but I, I think it's important to. Uh, I think it's important to, you know, leave on good terms and, like, you know, preserve that relationship if it's ever necessary in the future and to get those good LinkedIn recommendations or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, I don't think that there's no reason not to be honest at this point, And I'm not
0: sure. Uh, I think there's a reason not to be honest. I strongly disagree with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you go, John. If you live in a right-to-work state and you say, I'm not planning to come back after... I have this uh, child and I take my 12 weeks of uh, FMLA time. Uh, if you have, you know, it, outstanding sick leave or whatever. Uh, in some states, they can just fire you on the spot. So that's why you don't say. Oh, so so you're saying that
1: there would be maternity leave uh, that would not get paid because she's not going Not just back.
0: maternity leave, but potentially if you say, I'm, I'm looking forward to working for another three and a half months before... I take my maternity leave and then don't come back to work. they could say, don't come back tomorrow.
1: Ah well I that then that would depend on on how much you trust your boss and the relationship you have with them. Uh, because yeah, I, could, I would think yeah. like
0: uh, the answer my answer would be um, when people ask you if you're coming back to work, you can say the truth, which is that you don't know um, because who knows? you might not know. you think you know. But, like, the future is unpredictable. It could be that you have this second child, and, like, you know, Mm -hmm. three weeks after, you're like, man, I can't wait to go back to work. So... Just say you don't know. Yeah. That's what I would do. And
1: it is, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with even though now you've made up your mind and you've lied, there's nothing wrong with lying again and saying, oh, I changed my mind. I thought that I was going to come back. But it turns out that I'm able, my husband and I or my partner and I uh, or, you know, I have figured out that it's feasible for me to to do this, to to be, you know, to be not coming to work. And I'm gonna do that instead. I
0: feel like Hank. Sometimes you have an exceptionally, uh, like, rosy and optimistic view of work life because you never had a job,
1: right? And beca- <laughs> like, and because like the way that I run my office is extraordinarily. <laughs> just
0: like yeah it's weird loose. like yeah it's like uncommon yeah. so i think i just think like uh don't always listen to hank when it comes to questions about work His, his, his advice can be kind of doubly dubious although it's possible that my advice is dubious too and you're you're protected by some uh federal non-discrimination uh law when it comes to that stuff i'm not i'm not sure i'm not a uh, i'm not an employment attorney but in general i i'm a big fan of just saying i don't know um to pretty much any question that I'm asked, except that now that I think about it, I am a professional answer um, answerer of questions on this very podcast. <laughs> we should probably probably say yeah, and I almost never say I don't know, even yeah, when we should I should probably clearly say don't. I don't know
1: more on the podcast. Yeah. And yet here uh, we go, giving that
0: giving that dubious advice. Oh, it would be such a it would be a better and also shorter podcast if we just answered every question with, huh, interesting question. I don't yeah. know. We should probably pick one question for podcast to
1: be like, uh, and we could do it in harmony, like,
0: I don't know. Today's podcast is brought to you by not knowing. Not knowing. It used to be a popular thing, but in the age of the internet, apparently everyone knows everything all the time, including when the world is going to end, 2031. Look forward to that greatest depression. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by that global economic collapse of
1: 2031. <laughs> Uh, Predicted in a room by a bunch of people
0: who are not economists. What do you want to bet most of those people were dudes? I was going to say dudes, but I didn't. Today's podcast (laughs) is also brought to you by The Musical Hamilton. The Musical Hamilton. Tickets available now. Just kidding. They are. They definitely
1: (laughs) not. And finally, this podcast is brought to you by John's Pure Emoji Next Novel. Yep. It's... 700 pages of emojis and he's been working on it for five years it's going to be a work of blinding genius that will take the world by storm and no one will ever think that he's completely lost his mind
0: (laughs) truly blinding genius too because it's hard to read that many emojis right in a row I believe oh, it. Oh, man. I also want to say thanks to our, uh, it, 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 in real brought to you by news, thanks to our patrons over at Patreon, patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John, where you can go and support um, this podcast directly. If you want to, if you don't want to, you can go there and just enjoy some of the content that we put up uh, to, to help you understand more about Mars and AFC Wimbledon, mostly.
1: We're going to keep doing that. This one's from Beth, who asks, Dear Hank and John, Do you know how I can explain to my cat how inconvenient it is when she goes pee in my backpack?
0: That would be super helpful. Uh, you know, I, I've been waiting to say it, Hank, and I get to say it right now. I have no idea. You just, you
1: just, uh you, you don't, don't make anything in your house look like a litter box can look nothing like a litter box. Make sure that nothing looks anything like that place and keep the litter box clean and uh, And stand your backpack up, close it, put it on a thing. This is not going, you cannot explain cats how things go, but I've had my cat pee in my backpack, it's happened. But she hasn't done it in years because I stopped leaving it open on the ground looking like a litter box uh and i i just like i can imagine her like getting in there being like oh this is a nice shape and then like squatting on down doing her thing like looking off like thousand yard stare and you just letting it letting it fly right into and i still use that backpack john i still use that backpack
0: we have another question this one is from caleb who writes dear john and hank my name is caleb well, I already knew that, Caleb. It was right there in the intro, but that's okay. Um, is it Ryan? Are you sure it's not Ryan? Some people say Caleb is the new Ryan. Um, my name is Caleb, and I, comma, Caleb, uh, feel kind of odd in Nerdfighteria because I identify as a Republican. Um, that's a weird, weird sentence. I identify as a Republican. <laughs> I think you could just be a Republican. I don't think it has to be an identity. Uh, and I'm a theist, more specifically a Christian. Uh I don't agree with the views they—I guess they is Nerdfighteria—and a lot of times you have. I, however, really enjoy your work and your drive to promote your beliefs, even if they don't line up with me. I don't feel like I'm trying to promote atheistic beliefs, specifically, Hank, as I am quite— quite a religious Christian and, and, and do go to church and stuff. Anyway, I get enjoyment out of the things you create, which is why I listen to Dear Hank and John in the first place. Dang it, I didn't say Dear John and Hank. How do I go on enjoying what I like in a community that uh is always wanting to set me straight?
1: Yeah, I mean I that that last part I definitely feel I feel you on. Um and and I don't know. This is this is liberating, John. I love our new
0: podcast. <laughs> I don't know is the great. I don't know is the new <laughs> I don't, I don't know either. I mean, I I definitely understand that idea that, like, anytime you say something, uh, you're surrounded by people who are trying to set you straight, um, and that can be very frustrating. Uh, I feel that online a lot, like, whenever I say, for instance, that I am a Christian— um, lots of people come in to tell me that the idea of God is ridiculous, which, I mean, obviously, I'm aware of that. Um, I've thought about like, it. It's not like they're breaking yeah. news to me. Um, but I I do think that uh, it's very important to remain open to other people's uh, ideas, and it's very important to be able to listen uh, and understand where people are coming from. So I, I guess I try to take it as an opportunity to listen to someone who is different from me and uh, learn from them uh, and and in that process try to think about how I can have participated in more civil discourse. Uh, so for instance, I have a really good friend who is uh, supporting Donald Trump for president, which is something that I uh, totally disagree with, right? I mean, of of the people running... Uh, Trump is definitely the person I would vote for last um, and possibly of all the people in the United States. Um, (laughs) And so uh, it's a really interesting opportunity for me, though, to listen to them talk about why they support Trump, what they feel uh, Trump represents for them or or you know, the positions that he represents that reflect their positions. And, uh, you know, it. of course, it turns out to be a lot more complicated than my initial uh, repulsion w- would have me believe. So I think there's some, some benefit in the act of listening, even if sometimes it feels like everyone is trying to uh, set you straight. Um, right.
1: Right. I mean, that's it's it's hard cuz this is more than just somebody expressing their opinions. It's somebody like apply like trying to right. tell you why you are wrong. So it, it you know, being empathetic in that in that situation is harder. I, I, I but like you we are in such a mess. And I you know, I don't know that this is unique or anything, but it, it when when a a person who is on the internet all day inside their filter bubble hears that like you know that you're a republican like their thoughts are not going to be accurate because they have spent the last you know like their sort of like whole like life on the internet exposed to only the most extreme viewpoints and only the and like lots of stories that have been you know like that misrepresent that uh that you know are you know uh, sometimes manufactured and uh just to to create that you know sharper divide between you know our, our two our two main political parties and and so like i i think that a lot of people don't really know what These things represent uh, on either side, and it is very frustrating. And I I honestly think that, like you know, like it's very complicated. There is no one thing that I that either of these ideologies represents. Every person has a different perspective, and it's sort of ludicrous that we work so hard to try and put every American into one of two boxes, Um, or three if you count independent, Uh, and four if you count non-voter. So. The, uh, yeah, I, I do think this is difficult, and I return to the fact that I just don't know.
0: <laughs> I mean, the only other thing I would say about this, Caleb, is that uh, y- you also have to not view the other monolithically, right? Like you can't view uh nerdfighteria as monolithically liberal when it definitely isn't. I mean, there, you are not the only uh, Republican in nerdfighteria. You're certainly not the only Christian. Um, and, I, I, you know, it, there's this habit of saying, well, everything, every community on the internet or every community or every thing fits in one of these two boxes, uh, especially in American politics. Uh, discourse that has anything to do with politics, either the conservative box or the liberal box. We even actually do this with sports, right? Like, we all know that NASCAR is Republican. But (laughs) what does that even mean, right? Like, NASCAR isn't Republican. NASCAR is a matter of cars taking right turns, possibly left turns. I don't have a very good sense of direction. Um, So, you know, we politicize things that have nothing to do uh, with with political life in the United States. And so I would ask you to try to be careful not to do that and not to apply uh, political labels and political readings to every facet of your life. We've got another question. It's from Sam.
1: It's a little bit easier, I think, but maybe not. This, he's, he asks, Dear Hank and John, a few years back I fell in love with a TV show. Now that show is unfortunately finished, finished, but I think of it fondly. And as such, I find myself wanting to own that show, but was aghast to find that a DVD release is not planned anytime soon. I was devastated to realize that I could never own the show I so love, except that I can. I can very easily buy and download the entire season legally and watch it whenever I want to, but for some reason that doesn't feel to me like owning it. There's nothing physical that I can call mine. Do you have any advice, dubious or otherwise, as to how I can shake this mentality that I don't own what I can't see or touch?
0: Sam, the object is dead. There are no more objects. Let us, let us disavow all objects and live only in non-physical space. Let us praise the electrons that make up the things that we own and do not own. Let us escape our bodies entirely and live only inside of cyberspatial existences.
1: The only way to protect ourselves from the scourge of supervolcanoes and coming economic collapses of 2031.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, basically, basically what Sam is saying is I want a DVD so that the American economy can collapse in 2031. And then in 2032, there can be a super volcanic eruption. I don't want to overread Sam's question, but I think that's what Sam is saying. Uh, I mean, I I go through this a little bit with books. Like, I love physical books. I'm just an absolute sucker for them. I understand that there is no way of justifying my love of the physical object, but I still love it. Um... But uh, we are all going to have to become accustomed over the next few decades to uh, having fewer objects in our lives. And I I think in the long run, that's probably good.
1: Right. I mean, there's to me, there's something different about a book and a DVD because a DVD is a digital file on a disc and it might as well be on a hard drive somewhere. Like there's no there's no difference. From that, well, okay, I don't agree. I'm going to back all, up, by and, the way, uh, and dis- I disagree with. I disagree with myself too. I, I, I have argued myself out of this position. <laughs> I will say though, this, I will change my tack and say that there's a difference in that I'm never not going to be able to read a book. So I have a book on my shelf. I'm always going to be able to read that uh, that book unless there's a fire. But if, if I don't have a DVD player anymore, which I literally don't because there are like because it used to be in my laptop, but I got a new laptop that doesn't have a DVD player, then I can't watch those DVDs. I like I have a bunch of
0: DVDs and I can't watch them. Because I don't have the system. I know you'd have to spend nineteen dollars to acquire <laughs> a new DVD player. I the only yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of agree with that point, Hank. Um, but I I mean, physical books are just digital files that are uh, printed differently. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Can we move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon and just accept that DVDs are going to have a declining role in our lives, even though
1: I agree. Uh, but I want to, I want to I tell Sam, I, like I, getting the to the root of Sam's issue is uh, you got to figure out how to. ...apply ownership to the idea of the thing and not the physical thing itself. And and to me, that's about understanding that that owning the thing was never about owning the physical thing. It was always about paying people for the work that they did to create it... ...and creating an economy that supports the creation of good things. And that doesn't have... Like, like the thing you were buying was never the disc. It was always the intellectual property. And you're still doing that... Um and I, I think understanding that is less it's it less viscerally human. It's a it's an abstraction, but it is it was always the case um that you were never buying this, you know, what was probably a, a 50 cent thing. Um you were buying the the thing that existed on it.
0: I agree. Uh, before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, very quickly, one response. This is from Jane, who writes, Dear John and Hank. I'm sitting listening to your podcast, uh, number 43, Gotta Be Kitten. By the way, Hank, I do not approve of that title. Uh, And I do believe you owe me an apology. I'm on episode 13 of the first season of Gilmore Girls, and you just spoiled the whole thing for me. I understand the show is a decade old, but I am 16. I couldn't have possibly watched, understood, and or enjoyed the show before now. And now you've spoiled it, and this is a great tragedy of life. Please contemplate your contribution to the ruining of my life. This will suffice as an apology. (laughs) I love it. I love the podcast. I've been listening since the first episode. Thanks for the dubious advice, but no more spoilers. I'm sorry, Jane. Um, I'm sorry, not least, because just now... In this very uh, reading of your comment, we've probably caused some people to go back and listen to episode 43 More carefully. and be newly spoiled, yeah. who yeah. otherwise never would have been spoiled. So I'm doubly sorry, Jane. Yeah. Uh, it I, is it, our bad. I didn't our think, bad. I I mean, didn't think about it. There's nothing but dubious advice and spoilers in this show.
1: Uh, I, I initially wanted that question to for John to not get what the question was, and then for it to only be a joke who had seen... To, for, for people who had seen that, but he he figured ah. it out, uh, and then I then I forgot to think about the fact that we were doing. It. Anyway, I do apologize and for having ruined your life, uh, and I I confirm and uh, you know I I, I affirm that, that I have indeed done that, and uh, we are going to have to move on now. Very sad.
0: Okay, Hank, what's the news from Mars? Uh, well, you
1: want me to get this over with quick because there's I, I assume some big news from AFC Wimbledon. That's right. All right, well, the news from Mars is that China, uh, who has a very sort of—they have a space agency. It's a sort of arm of their military, and it's very secretive, um, has recently been changing its tack and has, instead of just, like, suddenly launching missions and then people being like, did China just launch a space mission? Uh, they're They're being a lot more public, and they have— uh, confirmed that they are working on a lunar mission a while ago, and just recently, in an interview, the head of China space agency uh, confirmed that they want to be on the surface of Mars with a rover by 2021, and uh, with that launch happening in 2020, uh, which is very exciting to have another uh, another entrant into the uh, into the the exploration of Mars, and I'm I'm happy to have China. Uh, doing that and, and, and sort of feel weird about it because I feel weird about China and how China operates as a country. Um, but there is this, this interesting thing where, uh, space exploration for a lot of different reasons that aren't, that are mostly unpure, uh, is a thing that, uh, countries do and, and generally they do together and work together on because it's so expensive, um, and and when one country has a problem, other countries want to come in and help them out, despite any kinds of, like, you know, uh, political disagreements that those countries have. So I am excited for that, even though I feel peculiar about China as a country. Um <laughs> complicated feelings
0: yeah i'm not going to try to get into the the, the the complicated world of uh of, of chinese politics I, I will just note that i'm excited that there's going to be a second mi- minivan on mars um afc wimbledon hank uh, america's favorite league two football club ahead of Stephen probably true probably um, true afc wimbledon the greatest fourth tier football club in the history of not just england but the universe uh <laughs> Since I last shaved, Hank, AFC Wimbledon has won four consecutive games here at the very tail end of the League Two season.
1: Uh, somebody recently commented on a Vlogbrothers video, John now has two puffs.
0: I do. I do. I also want to shave. I just can't. Uh, so I- I've talked in past podcasts about uh, our victory over uh, Wickham uh, and-, and Plymouth, And then uh, AFC Wimbledon faced Crawley Town. In the 88th minute, it looked like it was going to be a nil-nil draw. The darkness was descending. It seemed certain that Wimbledon would slip out of the playoff spots down into 8th or ninth or possibly even 10th place. But then substitute Ottobio Akinfenwa, the largest, strongest, most beautiful football player alive today, scored a looping header of a goal, Victory was ours. And then uh, just yesterday, as we're recording this, um, AFC Wimbledon played uh, already relegated Dag and Red. Uh, Dag and Red Mm -hmm. will finish at the bottom of League Two and will spend next season in the semi-professional National League, uh, out of the Football League, sadly. Um, And AFC Wimbledon scored two goals. They won 2-0 thanks to the hard work and goal-scoring boots of that man, the Montserratian Messi, Lyle Taylor. It was such an exciting game. I listened to it on, on Radio WDON uh it was really great oh. it was really great i'm so thrilled so afc wimbledon hank uh now they have four games remaining uh almost all the other teams in uh league 2 have just three games remaining uh and wimbledon are uh sitting in seventh the final playoff spot four points ahead of eighth place uh wickham and five points ahead of uh ninth place cambridge united Uh, Also sitting on uh, five points back are Exeter City and Leighton Orient. So it's still a somewhat crowded table, um, but AFC Wimbledon have a game in hand. Uh, If they win two of their last four games, they will definitely qualify uh, for the playoffs. I won't lie, Hank, that means... That if they qualify for the playoffs, they have a 25% chance of going to League One, but a 50% chance of playing in the playoff final at Wembley Stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I have, I have, I am properly dreaming. I have Googled airplane tickets. I am ready to purchase them. By the way, you're welcome to come. <laughs> That wasn't a joke. Oh, well, I'm not going to. Okay, well, it's, it's just as well. Stevenage won't be in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> I am so excited. This season, it's difficult to describe how unlikely this is, because, of course, this is the first year we've been doing the podcast. Um, but, you know, just... just just two seasons ago, Wimbledon had to win on the last day uh, to avoid relegation. Um, or I guess three seasons ago. So this is—it's it, just a phenomenal situation, uh, and I'm—I'm I'm so so excited. Uh, it's just crazy. Hope is the thing with feathers.
1: I'm very pleased, uh, and I—I want to ask what I think is an important question, not only for uh, you know for AFC Wimbledon, but also for the potentially our careers on YouTube. If they go to the playoffs, does that mean you're going to like not shave
0: for like months? Well, Hank, if I'm if they don't if they win all four of their final games and end the season with eight consecutive wins, are you asking me if I'm going to shave? Before the playoffs? Of course I'm not going to shave before the playoffs. They will have won eight straight games since I last shaved. <laughs> so, I, I will, however, uh, shave if they lose one of their last four games. Okay.
1: Okay. Well, let me just tell you, I, I'm hoping for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> But terrible. only because I want you to shave, and I don't think it will mean that they won't be in the playoffs, and I don't think they can get into that top three definite ends up in the in the thing yeah
0: it's very it's going to be very very hard to get in that top three even if they won out uh they would only have 80 points and right yeah. now the third place team has 77 so yeah it's right be, yeah that's, and that's a superior easy. goal difference so it's probably not going to happen so but that said i still want them to go go into the playoffs if if they make it to the playoffs uh you know on good form and everything having won a bunch of games so whatever it takes i'm happy not to shave uh i do have to drive the pace car at the angie's list grand prix um here in indianapolis the big uh the big uh road course race uh on may 14th and in a perfect world i wouldn't have to do all of the press with a massive shaggy beard but whatever I'm, I'm uh, happy mean, to do so,
1: it. So, so is the playoff thing like I can't cut any of these hairs, or I can't shave? Like, could you like give yourself a nicer looking beard? Is that
0: allowed? Well, Hank, obviously, I, I don't know, right? So that's the whole problem. I don't know <laughs> which part of my beard is causing AFC Wimbledon to win, so I can't mess with any of it. <laughs> okay, that makes perfect sense, John. What did we What did we learn today? Uh, well, we learned that uh, I am a little bit superstitious. <laughs> It's true, we did learn
1: that. Uh, We learned that you uh, are never buying a physical item when
0: you're buying a piece of media. And uh, of course we also learned that uh, the the world is going to end but (laughs) probably not in our lifetimes because of a Yellowstone super volcano eruption.
1: And finally we learned, of course, that John and Hank Green, despite the fact that we answer questions for like an hour every week, do not know.
0: We don't. Yep, no. We know essentially nothing. God, our advice is so dubious, especially <laughs> so in this episode. Dubious. I apologize to everyone uh, to whom we, we gave dubious advice uh, for, for just the sheer dubiosity of it all, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can write us with your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com Also your corrections, uh, your complaints about us spoiling Gilmore Girls for you, anything that you want. John at gmail.com or you can use the hashtag on Twitter, Dear Hank and John. I'm John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green on our preferred method of social communication, Snapchat. Hank is Hank GRE. I am John Green Snaps. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our hardworking intern is Claudia Morales. Rosiana Hals Rojas helps with questions. Thank you again for listening. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be awesome. Be awesome.